Today on Hanging with Champions, we're hanging out with an Olympic champion who literally put summer in the 1992 Summer Olympics. An Olympic champion who has done just about everything there is. TV, movies, hosted game shows. She's run marathons, crisscrossed the globe to ensure kids of the world have the right to play, and even has been fired by the president. Today, she'll take us along for the ride. It is forever an Olympic champion. Summer Sanders joins us today. So come on, hang with us on Hanging with Champions. Welcome back to Hanging with Champions, where every week we get to hang out with Olympic stars, past, present, and future. I'm Patrick Keenis with NBC Sports, the Olympic Channel, and Westwood One. And you can hang out with us, too. You can subscribe and get notified when the next Hanging with Champions episode drops. So wherever you get your podcast, if it's Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeart, tune in, Spotify, and Stitcher, we're there. And you can also leave comments on our social channels on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. And it is my distinct privilege to bring in, oh, truly one of the great American swimmers ever, Olympic champion from 1992, four-time Olympic medalist, and you've seen her everywhere, Summer Sanders. Hi, Summer. How are you? I'm good, Patrick. Oh, got me a little embarrassed in some of those things. <laughs> Fired by the president. Oh, all of them true. All of them true. I mean, I guess the, the first question is, what, what haven't you done to this point of your illustrious career? Are there any boxes unchecked for you? Yeah, I mean, my kids will tell you a thousand things that I haven't done. Uh, I haven't gone down several ski runs out here in Park City. I have not, I've not been hang gliding. I've not jumped from an airplane. Uh, yeah, I have a laundry list of things that I haven't done. But it is, you know, the older I get, Patrick, the the more appreciative I am of yeah. my career. And I do recognize that I am quite lucky that I've had all this opportunity. All right. So for all of our fans and especially all of your legions of fans who maybe have kind of lost touch with with, with society because these last six months have been so trying and challenging for everybody that everybody's just so focused on making sure that they still have jobs and still can pay their mortgages and, and pay their, their cars off. Can you fill them in on, on where Summer Sanders has been? Maybe not in just the last six months, but over the last several years. Uh, well, the last several years, uh, work-wise, my home has been CBS. I have a show on CBS called We Need to Talk. It's an awesome show with a horrible title, um, but we are uh, a group of all-female sports-related uh, women. So whether we've been in sports talking on television, whether we were a um, athletes and accomplished that way, executives within sports. So, um, so I've been there for six years, um, but personally, my husband and I just checked out in 2018 and we took the kids and we lived in Spain. And so we lived abroad for the entire year. We put the kids in uh, public school. My husband and I learned Spanish. We lived 50 meters from the ocean. Surfing was our life. So it was surfing, Spanish, and family and culture. It was absolutely, Patrick, the best decision of our lives. And uh, I dream about it every single day. So that was 2018 to 2019. You must be an impeccable planner because had you chosen to do that this year, you would be sitting on your couch like I am for you know six to twelve months instead of touring uh, touring the the coast of Spain. Believe me, um, specifically because Spain was obviously in the news in the very beginning of this pandemic, we thought about that often, and then it was just layered in. And 
Um, you know, we did. I mean, when you talk about planning, Patrick, we planned and it was me. I planned so much and there was so much work to get a visa and to figure out how to get the kids into school and where to get the kids into school and frankly, where in Spain to live. Um, but it, but it was just a reminder of how small this world is. Like I connected with a mutual friend and she, she's from Uruguay, but she lives there and she helped me out big time. So it is amazing how you're basically one phone call away from making it all happen. But there wasn't a moment where we didn't say, thank God it was in 2018 and not this past year. Yeah. And, and you brought up your kids and I bring up your husband as well, the, the, the great family that you have. Uh, Spider, who is, I believe, 12, right? And Sky, yeah. 13. So, and, and then your husband, Eric, and congratulations again, your 15th anniversary a couple of weeks ago, as we, ah, as we sit you. here in, in early you. September. So uh, what, what was it like as far as the first conversation with your kids saying, hey, we're going to pull you out of your schools here in Park City, beautiful Park City, and we're going to go overseas and spend a year. What was their reaction? So in the beginning of our existence together, my husband and I, um, because you said he was a skier and I was a swimmer, we traveled so much internationally and our our first love really was New Zealand, and, and he would spend every single August there since, I don't know, the past 30 years, basically. So uh, we both wanted to live in New Zealand, and that was really the place we were going to take the kids. We wanted them to experience the culture and mostly just experience a culture other than, than the United States, just to give them a sense of, of the way you can live. You can make a choice as to how you want to live your life. Um, but then the kids here in Park City got into the public school system here has a, a program called dual immersion. So they, they got into the Spanish portion of dual immersion where half of their content every single day since kindergarten was in Spanish. So then we thought, well, it has to have a language aspect. And so we need to find a place that speaks Spanish. So in the end, we chose Spain. It's in Europe. We can travel more and, and be all over the place. So uh, you said my daughter's 13, she's actually 14. Mm. And I figured that my daughter would actually have a rougher time with it because she was going to turn 13 in Spain, but she was all in. She was like, I want this adventure. This is gonna be interesting and cool. And I wanna meet these Spanish kids and, and, and create this sort of life. And then, and then probably come back to Park City and, and show up and be, oh, this 13 year old Sky, you know, that came back from Europe. Spider, on the other hand, uh, was 10 when we went over there, turned 11 there, and he was so hesitant for the change. He was super emotional. It tore my heart out. But yet, in, in my mind, I thought, well, he's the one that's going to grow the most because this is going to be so hard for him. So we were there with him every step of the way. And probably about four months in, he said to me, See, mom, I told you this was going to be hard because I missed my friends when I left the United States. And now I'm going to miss my friends when I leave yeah. Spain. So he just is a really emotional, connected guy. And, mm -hmm. and we learned a lot about each of our kids while we were there and about ourselves. But we became, Patrick, like the tightest knit family ever. Um, I will hold on to that for the rest of my life. Just incredible shared experiences for the kids. And mm -hmm. as, as much as it probably resonates with them, even at this young age, certainly years and decades down the road, what memories they will have of, of, of that, uh, that trip. Because think about how many families have the opportunity, resources, and freedom right. to, to do something like that. Very, very few. And uh, gosh, what a special experience you guys have. Exactly. And we recognize that. But, 
you know, the cost of living in Spain, <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to give too much up out there because um, we love it so much. And, but anyway, the cost of living in Spain um, is much less than here. So, and, you know, we weren't buying new clothes. We weren't buying, uh, we weren't buying things. It, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, we went out to dinner or out to, um, to have a glass of wine almost every night, it seemed. Um, but we would go out and it was, um, you'd get a tapa for free, which a lot of people don't realize. And, you know, Americans will go over there and they feel that they need to order so much. And it was, uh, there was many times when the waiter was like, bastante, bastante. He's like, that's enough. Like, you got to stop. And we're like, oh my God, we're ordering too much. So, you know, you'd have a, you each get a glass of wine and they bring you a free tapa and they bring our bill and it was four euro. And I'm thinking, wait a second, are you, are you kidding? So, um, they just, I don't know. It's the sense of enjoy life and they're not out to make their millions of dollars from their restaurant or their wine. They want people to come and they want people to live and, and be happy and you just have a little copa de vino and and you're <laughs> then you move on to your night but like the kids sports they did they did uh um junior lifeguard basically there uh salvamento and sacarismo and they uh wouldn't get done until about 9 p.m at night from their sports and then we would have our, our bit of dinner at the end of night it was just yeah. it was very very relaxed nice awesome good living and we appreciated that. And with parents who, who both represented the United States in the Olympics and not knowing what, what if any, Olympic or, or sports future lies ahead of them, did it almost feel like this was almost an Olympic experience for them at that age because you get dropped into different culture for a certain period of time? Uh, you're forced to learn the language. You're meeting people who maybe don't have a lot of shared experiences as you, but you're, you're, you're forced to... Um, be, be pliable with your behavior and personality and figure it out? Well, you know what? It was almost, because I, I look at the Olympic experience as very intense, right? I mean, we've worked Olympic games. There's nothing more intense than even, I mean, I've been on both sides, right? I've been just a fan. I've been an athlete and I've worked, I don't know how many Olympic games now. There's nothing more intense, frankly, than working an Olympic games, uh, even compared to being an athlete. So, the intensity was not there at all. So in fact, it was the exact opposite. We just sort of checked out from expectations of sports and activities. We, anything we signed the kids up for, we said, even school, frankly, we said our goal is to see the world, you know? So Spider's teacher specifically had really never met a kid that was that excited about school and that focused on school. <laughs> um, there were like the, the kids of Quinto it was because he's in, he was in fifth grade. Uh, you know, there were a couple kids in the class that were like, yeah, finally somebody who like wants to do well in school. But um, anytime I went up to Spider's teacher, Elena, and I would say, hey, we are going to meet some friends in, in Jerusalem. And she's like, oh my gosh, amazing. Go. Spider's fine. He doesn't need to do any work. Just go and enjoy. And then, you know, we got to go to Slovenia and uh, Venice and Rome. Uh, Vangen for a World Cup. I got to finally see Vangen, which I'd always oh. wanted to see. Uh, we went to Austria for ski skiing and we had a powder. We had powder days in Austria. Eric's like, I've skied in Austria for 30 years and I've had maybe two powder days. 
So I, and we had the unexpected and the imperfect spider broke his leg on a ski, a a school ski trip in the Pyrenees. So yes, it was maybe, you know, the the culture and the experience was, uh, you know, a la Olympics, uh, where you're around so many different cultures, but the intensity was just not there. The intensity in, in exploring and experiencing culture, food, people, all of that was off the charts. And that, wanted, that was cool. I wanted to get into this a little bit later, but since you've made the connection of the, the Spanish trip and the family, and especially noting the ages of your kids when you were there, if, for fans who are remembering back to your time when you were on Team USA, the 1992 Summer Olympics were in Barcelona. Was, was that, and you were 19 when you made the team at our over in Barcelona, uh, winning four medals, winning the individual golden 200 fly. Was that the first time you had gone back to Spain and maybe even back to Barcelona since? No, in fact, um, but it wasn't that far uh, before that, that I went back to Barcelona um, for our, for our 10th anniversary. But uh, it was a couple of years after our 10th anniversary, we finally <laughs> went back, but it was our big trip to go, trip to go back to Barcelona and it was quite funny because I never tell anyone that I won medals. Um, half the time, I don't even know where my medals are. But I hit the ground in Barcelona. And I was telling everyone that would even possibly hear me in earshot. I am back. And I, last time I was here, I won Olympic gold medals. And I think they, they sort of looked at me in this way, if we could translate the bless your heart statement <laughs> in Spanish. That's sort of the way they looked at me like, you couldn't possibly mean Olympic medals. I don't know what you're saying. But frankly, they were not impressed and they could care less. They were just really happy and kept offering like we what we show up at the hotel and they're like would you like champagne are you celebrating anything and i said yes i this is my first time back since winning my olympic medals and they're like "Mm, okay (laughs) okay yeah oh you must be tired um so i had been back but it was still special and and i took i ended up taking my mom and the kids back to barcelona back to the pool and i did a little feature for the olympic channel while I was there. So uh, that was special. It was really special. That's ridiculous. So, so uh, the entire uh, people of Spain are thinking that Summer Sanders is, is that one crazy person in all of our families that we all have, right? Exactly. Yeah. The crazy aunt. <laughs> I won Olympic medals. Okay, Aunt Summer, whatever. Okay. Oh, yeah. that, is, that is a classic story. Visiting with Summer Sanders, two-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, from the 1992 uh, Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona. Um, so, so fans are, who, who may not know a, a great deal about your family background, are, when, when you say spider, it's, it's your, son, your son's name is Spider. Right. How, how, how did that happen? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, I, you have to understand, I, my name is Summer, but back in 1972, there were no other summers that I knew of. I mean, not a single person. In fact, everyone called me Heather because they assumed there's no chance her name is really Summer. Um, So yeah, I come from a family of kind of odd names, Um, but we didn't have, I didn't really actually have the guts to officially give Spider as his first name Spider. So his full name is Charles after my grandpa, 
Robert after my dad, and then Spider, and then Shlopi. So he has lots of options depending on who he is as an adult. Um, but Spider comes from Spider Savage. There's a ski racer, American ski racer from the 70s that um, my husband didn't know, never met. Uh, he has a very, uh, he's got a story, and sadly, he passed away when he was young, but he was actually killed. Um, so you can read up on Spider Savage's story, but skiing wise, he had just an amazing reputation as just a very good human being and, and a phenomenal skier that really never probably reached his full, full potential. So we loved the name. And, uh, and funny enough, I mean, I knew he was a, a spider when he was in my belly. It was like, <laughs> he was so active. So, and it just fits him. It fits him. Every kid on the playground since he was a baby remembered the kid named Spider. So it's it definitely it fits his personality. So so his name lives up to Spider. Spider doesn't live up to the name. Exactly. Exactly. Do do his friends call him Spider? I mean, is that how yeah. he's known by friends and family all like? Every single person calls calls him Spider, except for my dad. My dad calls him uh. Charlie because of because it was his dad. <laughs> Um, and, yeah. And so he might, and I, and I love it. I love that my son will answer to Charlie when, um, mm -hmm. when my dad is around and, and my grandpa Charlie was one of my favorite people ever. So when I hear Charlie, I, it warms my heart. Yeah. And then I imagine with spider, it, it makes shopping for Halloween pretty easy on an annual basis. Just one costume for the, for life. Yeah, never been Spider-Man. Can you believe it? I'm not kidding. Isn't that hilarious? I'm shocked. Although, although when we were in Spain, when we were in Spain, every, I mean, the kids in Spain thought it was the coolest thing. Eh, Spider-Man. Eh, Spider. Spider. And that's what they call it. Spider-Man. I mean, everybody uh, thought it was the coolest thing that his name was Spider. So uh, hilarious. Be beautiful name, Spider and, and Sky. And, and I guess yeah. one more question about, about your name, Summer. And it was interesting you mentioned that you didn't know of any other Summers growing up. We know how, how broad the reach is for the Olympic Games on television, certainly on radio, but enormous reach across the globe on TV. I know many summers now, you know, 28 years later. Do you think that you're splashing onto the scene, winning two Olympic gold medals in 1992 might have spawned um, parents around the United States and around the world naming their kids Summer? I do. And I don't, and I wouldn't say that um, I, I am honored because I do know of many young girls that were named after me, but I also think that there are many young girls that were just named summer because maybe they heard the name and they liked the name. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, I give my, my mom and her friend credit. Um, Linda Foy is my mom's friend who said to my mom when she was pregnant with my brother, this baby's going to be uh, born in the summertime. I think my mom wanted to call me, I don't know, something to do with a different season. And Linda said, no, 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 no. Barbara, oh, it was something to do with maybe Christmas. Maybe Equinox. Or something like that. Yeah, something to do with Christmas. And Linda said, no, Barbara, you cannot name this baby something in the wintertime. This has to, this baby has to be named Summer. But back then, you no woman ever found out whether they were having a boy or a girl. So my brother was born and he was named Trevor. And then I rolled around in October and she, my mom just loved the name summer so much. So I got summer, even though I was born October 13th. So uh. um, I do think just hearing the name and 
there are very few people who don't love summertime, you know, it just, it, back in the seventies, obviously I, when, when I was in the Olympic games, everybody looked at this seventies kid and said, well, were your parents hippies? That was the first question I got. <laughs> and my mom was definitely a wannabe hippie. So were your parents hippies? Well, sort of. Are you from California? Yes. And then sarcastically, well, do you have a brother named Winter? I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I got those three questions straight in a row. So yes, I think there are more summers because my mom started just people hearing it. Um, and I'm forever grateful. Now you can get pencils with the name summer on it and keychains with summer on it. That did not exist when I was growing up. Trendsetters, you're trailblazers. Well, sort of, <laughs> yes, my mama. So, so many different tangents we'll, we'll go off on on this episode of Hanging with Champions. I guess we, we'd be remiss if we didn't address kind of the, the elephant in the room this summer. Uh, we, we should have been in Tokyo a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but for the coronavirus pandemic that's uh, encapsulated the world, uh, it, they've now been postponed until next year. Uh, you've broadcast many Olympics. You've participated in the 92 games. How challenging, how trying, just on the four-year cycle of planning for any athlete, in particular near sport in swimming, has this summer been for all of those athletes, knowing that some might have been peaking into form to make their first and only team this summer, and they may not get the opportunity next year, depending on how things go. Yeah, I think uh, you're bringing up really important points. It's super complicated. My heart was breaking for so many athletes, but specifically swimmers, when there was this uh, these weeks and months of indecision, right? Because the anxiety of wondering, am I going to have to try to be at, at top form to make the Olympic team in 2020, or am I not? When you don't have a swimming pool to hop into. And many people who... Um, who've never grown up around the sport of swimming don't understand. It takes about three days, three days for a swimmer who's out of the water to feel out of shape. So we overtrain more than any other sport. I fully believe that. Um, and so to be out of the water for three days and to feel out of shape, imagine now that you've been out of the water for a month. You can't replicate swimming with any other activity. Uh, you know, uh, a basketball player, well, maybe you could go and run a little bit or, you know, work on some agility exercises and things like there's nothing that we can do as swimmers to replicate our sport. So I was, I was anxious for these swimmers and that's why USA Swimming stepped up and said, Hey, IOC and Tokyo organizing committee, we have got to make a decision here. And the decision has to be to postpone because there was no way for these swimmers to be in top form. So they did. And I think for the most part at that moment, uh, I think a lot of the swimmers, especially the older swimmers who knew their bodies and knew what they were capable of, just exhaled relief. And then you reset. And whether when you reset, you're starting to think logistically, am I going to be able to be at top form again? Maybe this was my last games and I was gonna wrap it up can I really hold on for another 365 more days? Or, oh my God, what if these young kids are going to come up? There's going to be a whole new crop in one year. We're going to hear names that maybe we didn't hear of. That's the way it works in all of these sports that had not selected their team. And, and, but you know what? That's what makes being a U.S. Olympian so incredibly difficult 
and special because our toughest, oftentimes our toughest competition is at Olympic trials itself. And so these athletes are amazing and they're tough, Patrick, and they get it. So they'll either decide to step up and do this or they won't. And and they will live with that notion, but every single one of them will go back to training and training very hard and changing that mindset and figuring it out. And the coaches will too. And the coaches had to get quite creative. Um, so I applaud them. They had to get creative with um, out of the water training, working on details, fine tuning things. Frankly, I think the athletes that stepped up and thought differently during the pandemic we'll continue to see those benefits uh, throughout this entire year. And hopefully athletes did that, worked on stretching, nutrition, uh, mental aspects of things, um, you know, fine tuning shoulder balance and body balance and all of that to help them be stronger in some other aspect of their sport. Summer, as plugged in as you are to all, all Olympic sports, but in particular swimming, I bounce this question off of Paul Wiley, the Olympic silver medalist in figure skating from 1992, and also from uh, your, your contemporary, Dara Torres. Have, have many other swimmers reached out to you, or have you reached out to some of them to maybe give them recommendations, suggestions, or heard their questions on what, what, what am I supposed to do? I mean, how, how, do I, how do I reprogram, replan to get ready for Tokyo 2021? I haven't. I, I mean, I've offered up advice um, because I, had, I didn't have a similar situation. Of course, this is unprecedented. How much do we hate that word? Um, but I, 11 months before Olympic trials, my Olympic trials in 92, I hurt my shoulder. So um, I had to be out of the water for a month. And so that's why I felt this angst of, oh my God, I get it. Can, you know, can you get back to top form and be ready when you have a moment like this? And mine was an injury. So I, uh, it was, it, it, it did it. That's immediately what I went to. I went back to a conversation that I had with my coach, Richard Quick, when after swimming in the pool with one arm and then that sh other, that shoulder got sore. And so then I was just kicking and then I, with, with zoomers on, which are flippers, and uh, I got all these blisters, so then I had to put socks on, and then my flippers on, and then I was bleeding through my socks, and so he said, okay, get out of the water, and now sit on a bike by the side of the pool and do that, and so I was trying everything to stay in shape, and then mentally, I just lost it, and I started crying, and he said to me, Summer, this, you've got to look at this moment as a gift. He goes, what's the weakest part of your stroke? And I said, my kick. He goes, exactly. And that's all we're working on right now is your leg strength and your leg flexibility. And you would never have done this had you not hurt your shoulder. So yes, it's difficult to turn these weird, um, imperfect moments into some sort of an opportunity. But that's what I did with my mind. And your mind is incredibly powerful. So whether it truly was a gift or not, if you turn it and you think of it that way, it can be. And so I did share that with quite a few people. And, and while it may, and it's a fantastic story, while it may be a great gift for these athletes as they prepare for next summer, we can't ignore the fact that there may not be the Tokyo Olympics next summer. I know, right? Every, everybody is hoping that you know, the pandemic will be under control, we'll have vaccines, that there's no second wave. Uh, that, they're, that, that once you get infected for the first time, 
that perhaps he can't get infected again. We just don't, we just don't, there's so many unknowns that from the athlete's perspective, how hard is it for them, especially those, I mean, then you're talking really in an eight year gap between Rio of 16 to 2024 and the possibility of not having a summer games in 2020 slash 2021 of all of those, you, you were in one Olympic games, 1992, and we're still talking about all of your, your great successes because of what happened in Barcelona. Tokyo could have been somebody's Barcelona for them if it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. That's yeah, it's so overwhelming it's, to think of all the ramifications that could come out of potentially not having a games next summer. You know, the word devastating comes to mind for probably many athletes, if that's the case. But devastating extends to the world, really, if we're still at that state. So it's hard to put devastating next to a sporting event. Mm-hmm. But I get that, that it's devastating to, um, to Japan as a whole, to Tokyo as a Question. city, to uh, companies that have put so much money into mm-hmm. it. Um, the, it it's, it's a giant Olympic world, and it's that globe that, that will be affected. But if you just take it into somebody's household, it would be important right now, Patrick, to remind your listeners that... Yes, there are a few Michael Phelpses and Simone Biles of the world that, you, that are clearly being paid quite well for what they've done or what they might have done leading up to the Olympic Games. But for the most part, our delegation of Olympic athletes from the United States is made up of many moms and dads, right? They have kids. They have been training their entire lives for this one moment to be able to earn, represent their, their companies that they're ambassadors for or spokespeople for, or frankly, just to earn a medal, to earn a little bit of money, obviously to fulfill a lifelong goal, but that's their livelihood. And so that's devastating, right? I mean, we are talking about livelihood here of a pandemic of people wanting to hold on to their jobs, to, put, to pay their mortgage, to feed their family, and Olympians are feeling that same way yeah. right now. So it's not just a sporting event. These, these, the average Olympian does not make millions of dollars. They make enough to feed their family and fulfill a dream. And they're working their tail off to do it in every way, shape, or form. So it's important to remember that when we do talk about the possibility of not having a Tokyo 2020. And that's very serious. That's uh, very well said, Summer. And really, that's a perfect breaking point for us. And with so much more to get to, we'll come back next time and hear even more from Summer, how she got into TV, how she got fired by President Donald Trump, how she met her childhood obsession, Michael Jordan, and then running her first Boston Marathon the day of the bombing, and also reliving her gold medal butterfly race in Barcelona. So all of that next time in part two as Hanging with Champions hangs out with Olympic champion Summer Sanders. A reminder, you can find this and all of the other podcast episodes from Hanging with Champions where you get your favorite podcast on Apple, Google, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you'd like to make a comment or some suggestions on who you would like to hear on future episodes of Hang With Champions, you can make comments on Twitter at Hang With Champs and on Instagram and Facebook at Hanging With Champions. 
So for Summer and our entire Hanging with Champions crew, I'm Patrick Keenis. Thanks for hanging out with us on Hanging with Champions.